Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. At least 31 people have died while crossing the channel from France to the UK in the worst disaster on record involving migrants in the water separating the two countries. At home, Garthi are treating the death of a man in Dublin as suspicious. Our news reporter Nicole Gernon will have the very latest from the scene. Shoppers are warned to be aware of pitfalls ahead of Black Friday. And later on, the ambitious new plan for Cork City Docklands. As always, we want to hear from you, the viewer. You can get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag, TonightVMTV. Tonight we start with the developing story. At least 31 people have died after their dinghy capsized while crossing the channel from France to Britain. There's been a steady flow of attempted crossings on the channel in recent months. It's thought more than 25,000 people have made that dangerous journey from France to England's south coast this year alone. Three times the figure for last year. In this latest case, it's thought an inflatable dinghy carrying 34 people capsized off Calais this afternoon. Two people survived while another person is still missing tonight. The British Prime Minister has described the deaths as appalling. My thoughts and sympathies are, first of all, with the, the victims and, and their families. And uh, it's a, an appalling thing that they have, uh, that they have suffered. But I also want to say that this disaster underscores how dangerous it is to cross the channel in this way. And it also shows how vital it is that we now step up our efforts to break the business model of the gangsters who are sending people to sea in this way. Well, back home now in Garthi in North County, Dublin, are investigating the discovery of a man's body in Balbriggan. Garthi say the man was in his 60s. Our reporter, Nicole Gernon, is in Balbriggan for us tonight with the very latest. Nicole, what can you tell us? Well, Claire Gardy, were called to the scene here in Dune site in a green in Balbriggan this afternoon after a concerned relative of the deceased man who was in his 60s raised the alarm between 2 and 3 p.m. And when Gardy arrived, they discovered that he had suffered serious injuries. They immediately sealed off the scene in order to preserve it. They called the Garda Technical Bureau and members of the Technical Bureau arrived here a little bit earlier on this evening and they have been conducting a technical examination of the house. The Office of the State Pathologist has also been notified 
identified and a post-mortem will determine the extent of the man's injuries and the cause of them and the cause of his death as well. And of course, the outcome of that post-mortem will help determine the course of the Garda investigation. But for the moment, it's understood that the man did live alone and that the Gardaí are treating his death as suspicious as it is suspected that he died violently. But so far, no arrests have yet been made. Now, Gardaí this evening have been conducting door-to-door inquiries around the estate. Those inquiries will continue tomorrow. They'll also be looking to speak to anyone who knew the deceased man. But if anyone has any information that they feel might be helpful to this investigation, they can contact Gardaí at Balbriggan Garda Station or on the Garda Confidential Line on 1800 666 111. Okay, Nicole, thank you very much for bringing us that update from North County Dublin tonight. Now, shoppers are being reminded to know their rights and do their research ahead of Black Friday and Cyber Monday. But has COVID curbed shopping trends yet again this year? Well, joining me now is CEO of Dublin Town, Richard Guiney, CEO at the Kilkenny Group, Evelyn Moynihan, and food and consumer editor at the Irish Farmers Journal, Kira Leahy. You're all very welcome along to the programme tonight. Um, Richard, I want to come to you first because this year, unlike last, the shops have been consistently open since, you know, they, they came out of that lockdown period, you would have been hoping to see a steady flow of shoppers and then that traditional pre-Christmas rush. But how have things been? Well, we got off to a good start um, and our footfall was actually up to 85% of what it would have been pre-pandemic. So we were quite enthusiastic. Um, but unfortunately, in the last week or two, it has dropped off again. So there's a lot of very anxious business owners around the city. Um, and you know we really we're putting the best foot forward and we're saying to people look you know we're open monday to friday as well if you want to avoid the the, the crowds at the weekend you can come in monday to friday but look it's uh, it's it's a challenging environment there's no doubt and what do you think this drop off is down to um because we have had government messaging about cutting social interactions and not making that trip to meet people if you don't have to is that affecting the traditional uh, shopping rush ahead of yeah, christmas yeah I, I mean our experiences during the pandemic is if the numbers rise the footfall drops um, and we're experiencing that now and I think the messaging you know it, you know there's a there's a lot of uh, messaging that is instilling a degree of uh, fear or discomfort amongst the public you know and that is going to impact on um, on, on all consumer facing businesses mm, and is there that sense of customers like are they fearful of going into shops is that you know what's your research telling you about well, that the, the, we've always found that you know when the, the numbers rise the, the footfall drops um, but I think there is a, a, a degree of uh, concern and the other big factor obviously for Dublin city centre is the work from home. Um, we are very reliant on our, there's 210,000 people working in offices around uh, Dublin city centre. When you take them out of the equation, uh, the footfall drops. So we can really see it Monday to Friday, the footfall is way lower than it would be at the weekend. Yeah, so that messaging for people to stay home and work from home where where yeah. possible, unless it's very urgent, that, that's really something that's that, affecting that footfall. Really hits, that really hits the, the, the retail and hospitality trades. Yeah, do you have a figure on, on how much that you reckon you could lose now, lose now in the run-up to Christmas? Yeah, well, we were heading in the right direction. Um, so we were heading up and I thought we would hit uh, in around 90% of the pre-pandemic levels. I, we're down now below 80% and I think, you know, we'd probably be in around the 75% range. So that 15% at a time when businesses do a third of their annual 
unpredictable turnover is is a real concern. They need a good Christmas. You know, it's it's, uh, it's what keeps people in business. Okay. Well, also traditionally this weekend has now. Well, it's not so much a tradition, but it's become a tradition, hasn't mm -hmm. it? And that's around Black Friday, Absolutely. and then Cyber Monday that follows that. Black Friday, of course, coming from the US because it's it's the fr first Friday after Thanksgiving yes. that they traditionally go into sales there. And in recent years, that's followed us over here as well, hasn't it? Oh, it's just taken off. I mean, especially like the last decade, we've kind of experienced Black Friday, but especially in the last five years, it actually comes back to, it first kind of started back in those heady days of the, the boom when people used to fly over to New York and uh, for their, their Christmas shopping and they'd see all the queues. So that's how it started. But then I suppose when there was more American retailers that we started shopping online, the likes of Amazon, um, that's when it really kind of started to take an impact um, here in Ireland. And the figures are startling. It's actually estimated that there's going to be um, 25,000 euros spent per minute on Friday um, in terms of what, what people are buying. Clothes are going to be number one. And then you're going to be looking at electronics being the second thing that people are really going to be buying. But it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing the amount of people that are really focusing on Black Friday now for their Christmas shopping. The days of going into the city for your 8th of December shopping, I mean, they're, they're nearly gone. Yeah, I'm just wondering when you're saying that a big, big boost in shopping, shopping and people do want to spend the money. Where are they spending the money though, Evelyn? Are they spending it, say, in, in your shop or are they more and more going online to make their purchase? Yeah, look, in Kilkenny Design, we're definitely seeing the growth in online shopping, but we're also seeing good recovery in our bricks and mortar stores as well. I think this year, more than ever, people are looking for gifts with meaning um, and also looking for more sustainable gifts. We're seeing that as a big trend. Um, but we see our shoppers investing in areas like their home and making that fabulous Christmas, I suppose, dinner experience amazing this year for their families because they've missed that. Well, I suppose also we're spending an awful lot and we have spent an awful lot more time at home. So when you're looking around at the four walls, maybe you Absolutely. just want to make it as comfortable a place as you can. Absolutely. And uh, like there's a lot more about seasonal changes in the rooms around your house because you're spending more time in the home and also we're seeing big growth in areas like jewellery and art but it tends to be again you know art and jewellery that has meaning if you like and people are just I think a lot more sentimental and definitely want to make it a, a Christmas to remember this year. Now something that uh, you're trying to push and, and you mentioned it there just about being more sustainable but also how important do you think it is for people to buy locally, to purchase locally when they're looking ahead to, to shopping this weekend and indeed in the run up to Christmas? Yeah, so it's hugely important. So Kilkenny are founders of Champion Green and Champion Green working very closely with the trade bodies, Retail Excellence, Small Firms Association and Chambers Ireland and supported by businesses like Visa, we're pushing to turn Black Friday green. And what we mean by that is to really encourage businesses to push their local community message and the role they play in community and the offers that they have for this weekend and beyond, but big time for consumers to think about where they're spending their money. Mm. Richard mentioned it, a lot of businesses uh, really rely on a strong quarter four. And if that doesn't happen for businesses, we're going to lose businesses, we're going to lose services out of the community. So my big message tonight is for people to come out and to support local business. If we don't, we're going to lose them. Yeah, and that's the big thing. Everything is costing an awful lot more though this year than other years and people are feeling the pinch of that. If they can get a good deal online, the question is why would they go to a city centre? Why would they go downtown if they can get a good deal
deal. People like to shop around. Isn't that the case, Richard? Well, I think what cities and towns offer is, a, is, is an experience. Um, and you can come in, you can shop, you can socialise, you know, you can go to, you can avail of the hospitality uh, in, in the, the, the town centre. So it, it's an overall experience. Um, that you're not going to get in, a, in an online purchase. Uh, and what we would say to people, though, if you are purchasing online, uh, you know, as Evelyn said, buy from a site that's supporting Irish jobs because ultimately that's what it's going to be about. We want vibrant town centres after the pandemic uh, and we won't have them if, if people don't support those businesses this Christmas. Okay, um, I want to come to you, Akira, just on an EU customs law mm. that came into place that could be quite relevant for people who are yes. buying online. That came in in, in July of yeah. this year. Tell us what it means for people. Uh, yeah, you know, there's so much talk, Larry, about Brexit and Brexit obviously is important. This is our first Christmas experiencing Brexit. But this EU customs law that came in at the start of July is, has, is having a huge impact. And basically, it's actually been planned for years and years and years to protect European jobs, to protect European businesses. Um, but this year, what it means is if you're shopping outside of the EU as a consumer, if you're buying online, you're not protected under EU law. So one of the big things is around delivery dates. Um, so for example, so if you're shopping within the EU, they must deliver that product to you within 30 days. And as of today, we are 30 30 days exactly to Christmas Eve. If that doesn't arrive within 30 days, the company must offer you a refund. Similarly, if they say to you, you know, you're coming up to Christmas maybe and they're saying, you know, it, we will deliver it to you, it'll be there before Christmas, we'll get it to you within a week. Mm. If they commit to that and they don't deliver within a week, then again, you're entitled to get your money back. But, um, if, but you're, if you're buying from the UK? But if you're buying from the UK, you don't really have a leg to stand on. And then the other thing as well is, is customs. So, um, so basically, if you're shopping within Ireland, you're shopping within the EU, you know, your items will, will arrive as, as normal. But if you're shopping within the UK, you will be hit with custom charges. If you do decide to shop within the UK, just a, a, some pieces of advice is look towards, I know we're talking about the small retailers, but actually if you're shopping with the UK, look towards the big retailers because the likes of Marks and Spencers and Boots, the likes of um, River Island, they are all doing your custom charges when you check out at the, you know, online. So you won't get those so hidden charges. Get those hidden charges. Um, but if you do decide to shop with a smaller um, retailer within the UK, you really need to urge them to abide by the custom laws. If they don't fill out the relevant forms, if they put something in your package that's prohibited, good luck and thanks, it's back to sender, you don't get your item and nobody wins really. Okay, we're going to go now to Director of Communications at the Competition and Consumer Protection Commission, Gráinne Griffin, who's joining us tonight via Skype. Um, it's all very relevant when we're looking at Black Friday and people wanting to maybe um, spend now, get their Christmas shopping done early, Gráinne, but what should people look out for specifically when they are going online uh, to make those purchases at what they think is a bargain? Well, definitely the first thing that people really need to look to is actually it's not the price of the good, it's the location of the business. And it's to, to make sure that you know if you're shopping from an EU website or from a website that's outside of the European Union and where your consumer rights simply aren't as strong. And so I suppose what we'd really say to consumers there is this isn't about .ie, it isn't about prices in euros, it isn't about a little Irish flag at the top of the screen. You can have all of those things and the business can still be based outside of the EU. And that means that if something goes wrong, you're simply not in the same strong position in relation to getting redress. 
Yeah, that's very difficult because as you a lot of people looking at .ie would instantly think, okay, this is, you know, this is a safe place to, to, to shop online because I, I'm sourcing something locally and there are no hidden charges and I'm likely to get my goods when hopefully they will arrive within a short period of time. So how can people verify that something is .ie and not, as I say, outside of, uh, outside of Ireland and outside of the EU? Well, .ie, like it can be useful because it does indicate that the website provides a service to consumers in Ireland. So you're not going to end up in a situation where when you get to the to the final piece where you make the payment, they say they don't ship to Ireland. So it has some use in that regard. But in terms of actually finding out where the business is based, really it's about digging into the terms and conditions. So looking into the small print of the website and trying to find a really a physical address. And that should be relatively easy to find. And if it's not really, maybe this is a business you should be moving on from. Okay. Um, in terms of redress, returns and all that sort of thing, um, we often make purchases and then afterwards go, what, what is that I bought in the wee hours of the morning? Um, like in doing so, what sort of rights do you have as a consumer now? So if you buy something online and you want to return it, generally we find this falls into to two sort of categories. And the first one is just you've changed your mind. Maybe it doesn't fit right. It's not what you expected. You know, you, you no longer want it and you want to send it back. And in those cases, it really depends on whether or not you bought it from a physical shop or whether or not you bought it online. If you bought it from a physical shop, then you need to go and check the store policy. They're not obliged to offer change of mind returns because you had every opportunity to check out that product when you were in shopping um, in the store. However, if you bought the goods online, because you didn't have the opportunity to have a look at them in advance, you'll always have a right to change your mind and cancel the order within 14 days of receiving the package. And that's a European right and it'll apply across um, any purchase that you might make from any country in the EU. And then once you've cancelled it, you have a further 14 days to send it back. Um, now, that's if you change your mind. If the goods are faulty, you have statutory rights that apply just across the board, no matter where you bought it, whether it was a shop or online. And you can take certain steps to make sure you can get either a repair or a refund, depending on the severity of the fault. And so if anybody's in that position, there's information on, okay. on those steps on our website, ccpc.ie, that you can follow. Okay, that's great, Gronia. Thanks for all the, those tips and that advice um, ahead of this busy uh, Christmas shopping period. Uh, Richard, I just want to come back to you just when we're talking about Black Friday there and Cyber Monday. Is this a good thing for retailers? Do they like having to discount all their goods in the run-up to Christmas? Because traditionally, of course, the sales wouldn't yeah. kick in here until after Christmas. Well, certainly there's mixed uh, views in it. One is that you, you do get people uh, into the city and pre-pandemic we would have had a footfall of over 600,000 on, on the Black Friday. It's, it's, it's quite significant. But as you say, there are other retailers saying, why are we discounting four weeks from Christmas? Um, so I suppose it, it is mixed. In uh, this year, like, you know, we'd certainly be encouraging people if you're, if you're shopping, do shop with the, the, the local shop and certainly Dublin City Centre will be, will be very welcoming uh, this Friday. Okay, and do the prices, do you find, Evelyn, when you put prices down, do they ever really go back up then later on in December or once you've discounted them, 
generally they're, 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 they're cheaper to get then in, in, for the month of December, is that I, what you find? I think it's mixed. I think there's genuine bargains and value to be had, you know, over the coming days. I know in Kilkenny Design, we went out early because we did want to spread it out. We didn't want it all to be about one day or one weekend uh, with our offers and value. Um, so I do believe there's good value to be had, but there's also great quality and value to be had across December. And what we're seeing in retail is it's a marathon, not a sprint. And, you know, for people shopping as well, it's a marathon, not a sprint. It's a safer way to shop, you know, spreading yeah. it out and being more planned in, in how you organise your shopping. Ask because people are really worried about this year is supply chain issues. Mm. Um, is there a fear that there will be empty shelves in the run up to Christmas or you know, generally, how are you finding your stock, the, the yeah. supply? I suppose and, in Kilkenny Design, we're lucky um, because we mainly work with Irish design and craft. Over 74% of what we do is Irish made or produced. But without a doubt, I know talking to other retailers, and we've had some experience ourselves, there has been stock issues in getting, you know, freight in um, from other countries, mm -hmm. etc. However, I feel retailers have overcome that, and now there's this kind of new anxiety around restrictions and staying open and making sure we can maximise, I think, the Christmas period now over the coming weeks. That's what every retailer in this country wants to do across all our channels. Yeah, it's that sense of uncertainty, isn't it, that people don't know, will there be further restrictions in place. Um, we're hoping not, but what impact that may have. And then that core thing about the supply chain as well, um, that idea that we had to kind of shop early to ensure that we could get what we want. Absolutely. But you know, um, in what Evelyn was saying, like the reasons behind the supply chain issues and, you know, the, the issues, we, we are in a pandemic, there are issues around Brexit, but Irish retailers saw this coming down the line. I mean, I spoke to Irish retailers for an article a few weeks ago. They, you know, they were like, we put in orders in spring for Christmas, we really, really were organised, and I think that's really important. I was speaking to, you know, Irish um, Irish retailers that were saying our warehouses are actually stocked full. We don't want to see Irish consumers do without this Christmas, and I think that's even more incentive to shop local. We don't want to see those retailers with half full warehouses on the other side or into the new year. Finally, Richard, I, we saw the truckers' protest today, um, and that that slow move into the city centre and the traffic congestion that it caused. Um, there may be a plan to do more of it in the run-up to Christmas. What sort of impact is that having? Are you worried at all or are they kind of voicing concerns that many people have about the, the cost of living? Yeah, I, I, I wonder with, you know, with some of the protests, like how effective they are in terms of what people want at the other end, you know. Um, and I think, you know, does discommoding people actually win you support? Um, I suppose the answer to that is probably not. So I think there are far more effective ways for, for making uh, uh, your views known than uh, discommoding people who just want to go about their business. OK, all right, there we'll have to leave uh, that, that for now. My thanks to the panel for joining us tonight. And uh, coming up after the break, new figures show that primary school-aged children now have the highest COVID-19 incidence of any age group. Stay with us. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome back. Now, the number of creches and childcare facilities being hit by COVID-19 has soared in recent weeks. And joining me here in studio to discuss is Fianna Fáil TD Cahill Crow, Sinn Féin's Kathleen Funchen, National Secretary of the Association of Childhood Professionals and owner of Little Footsteps Creche, uh, Jonah Sullivan, and via Skype tonight, CEO of Early Childhood Ireland, Theresa Heaney. Uh, Theresa, I'm going to come to you uh, first on this. We're hearing about that headline figure of a 500% rise in cases in the past six weeks, cases of COVID-19 in our creches in the past six weeks. Um, from your point of view, um, that, that's a really startling number. Um, wh what are your members telling you about, about the incidence of, of the virus in, in childcare facilities up and down the country? Yeah, I mean, it's uh, dramatically different uh, at the moment, Claire. The cases have tripled uh, since mid-October, so in, and more, much even more particularly so in the last uh, fortnight. So um, members of Early Childhood Ireland are very worried. They're very stressed. They're working really hard trying to keep as much of their service open as they possibly can. That's very challenging, particularly now with the five-day rule about remaining at home if you're uh, a close contact and until after you get a PCR test. And that, of course, is made more difficult because um, of the challenge of getting PCR tests in certain parts of the country. So members of Early Childhood Ireland, what are they trying to do? I mean, they can't, it's not like other services. We can't move children from one room into another room um, and we can't move others we can't take somebody in from the outside into work and services because we're very strict regulations so the pods have to be maintained intact and the regulations have to be maintained so it's very very stressful for operators of services who are members of our charged Ireland who are trying to keep the children in the services safe the, they're trying to keep the families that use their services safe and they're trying to keep their staff uh, safe as well. It's very stressful and very challenging time. There's yep. no doubt about because, it. Because, because uh, you're coping, as you say, with those staff shortages as well. Are you managing to maintain these safe pods um, in that situation where you have a shortage of staff and you have a number of children and, and, and you're really trying to assure that you can run an operation? So, I mean, the, the staffing challenge is, it, we already had a staffing challenge and now it's being hugely exacerbated by the situation that we find ourselves in now. So I think that, that services are trying to work with parents, they're trying to work with families to do the best they can. I'm hearing solutions, like I've heard, for example, some of our members saying that they've asked staff not to take annual leave between now and the end of the year, if that's possible 
possible. Now, that's going to create its own problems next year, um, but they're doing that now in order to keep services open. Some of them are reducing their opening hours, so uh, and, and they need to do that in order to keep their, their pods intact. So maybe they might typically be open from eight to six. Maybe they're reducing that down to nine to four, and that way they, they don't need additional staff uh, to cover breaks and so on. So they're trying their very best, I think, with, with parents to do to do what they can, but it's very, very challenging. And the issue of antigen testing that has been in the media as well today, I mean, that's obviously very welcome um, that, an anti that the antigen testing regime is going to be introduced into childcare services. Um, Members of Early Childhood Ireland have been have been involved in the pilot. There has been a pilot in our sector, and a lot of members would be already using antigen tests at their own um, cost and at a time when those antigen tests were very expensive. I mean, we're there. We hear that they're going to be reduced in price, um, but they have been using them as screeners up until now. Right. So there's a meeting on Friday with the Department of Children, and hopefully that will clarify what the situation is with antigen testing. Okay. Because that is um, that's one of the new decisions that's been announced um, for childcare, um, Cahokro, to bring in antigen testing. Uh, similar, I think, to the way it's going to be introduced in schools. We're told next week that close contacts of confirmed cases, children, that is, will take. Um, antigen test. Is that what you're hearing with regards uh, to childcare? Yes, that's certainly what I'm hearing. I mean, for in a primary school context, this will start from next Monday and it'll be HSE administered, but it will give an extra layer of protection uh, in terms of what's happening in the classroom. It's very challenging. I was a teacher myself up to the last general election. It's a close quarters environment. Uh, you're, you're dealing sometimes with 20 or 30 kids in front of you, none of them vaccinated. That matter is going before the European Medicines Agency next, next week in case just to look at, can younger age cohorts be vaccinated? But right now, it's a cauldron. It's very challenging. Uh, a primary, secondary, and indeed the early years sector. So you're, when you describe it as a cauldron, what a classroom is like a cauldron right now, a childcare facility is like a cauldron. Is that what you're saying? I think it is. Um, I subbed in a, a local school last week. I subbed last Friday unpaid. Uh, there was 30, 31 kids, I believe, in the classroom. The windows were open. It was cold. There was air circulating. You know, all the precautions were being taken. But even in the best of times, Irish classrooms, some of them built back in the 70s, they're pretty cramped environments. It is difficult. Uh, and in years heretofore, when I was teaching, if you had a cough or a sniffle, you would drag yourself in the next morning. But now you can't because it's symptomatic of COVID. Okay. You have to absent yourself, get tested. It's four days, even best yeah. case scenario. I'm listening to what you're saying, Cahill, and that's very different to what Norma Foley was saying earlier today about you know, classrooms and schools being a safe environment. A cauldron is not equated with a safe environment. So you're saying they're not safe? No, I'm not at odds with Minister Foley. Actually, she's taken a lot of actions over the last 24 so hours. So what do you this. mean by that when you say uh, it's a I cauldron? mean that the, the, the physical environment, the classroom I was in last Friday, the classroom I was in two Fridays before that, they're, they're small. There's a lot of kids there. That's the physical environment. That, that's what it's like each and every academic year. That's what a typical Irish school uh, is like. So transmission is occurring. Is that what you're saying? It doesn't sound very safe. You're saying uh, it's cramped, it's small and... No, 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 the, the, the measures being taken, antigen testing coming on Monday, that's a layer that, 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 yeah. that will give protection. But, but it's important to say that Minister Norma Foley has taken decisive action, a proposal I would have suggested to her last week, that we take students from third and fourth years of the education colleges and indeed those in postgraduate education, that's going to inject 4,000 additional teachers. It will largely alleviate the crisis we have at the moment. Right. And maybe something similar could be done in the early Can years I sector. just get clarity on it? Do you think schools are safe? Do you think childcare facilities are safe right there's, now? There's no place 
safe from COVID in relative levels, in relative levels uh, comparative to other sectors, schools are considered to be safer. And that's what the health professionals are telling us. Okay, young no children are quite resilient to COVID. A, a lot of the COVID comes in the home environment and it, school is a great mixing place. There's a couple of million children each day in Ireland mixing and we need to take measures to mitigate. They're unvaccinated, yes. they're sitting in the classroom and okay. we need to... Those concerns that you're raising there. Um, Kathleen Funton, you're listening to this. We've heard yeah. very different messages about schools, about childcare facilities. What do you think of what Cahill Crow was saying about it being a cauldron, but that I suppose these increased mitigation measures are coming in the form of the likes of antigen testing next week? Okay, I think the first thing to say is I do think we're that kind of borderline crisis point in relation to the early years in schools when it comes to COVID. And I think that a lot of the issues um, that are being raised are they were there for a long number of years in fairness to those working in the earlier sector they have been raising issues of staffing crisis underinvestment and underfunding for years and everyone will tell you about our class sizes and the condition of our buildings kids still being taught in prefabs so we were not in a perfect situation before COVID I think COVID has drawn a big red circle around all the very negative aspects that were there that really needed to be worked on and that people were literally screaming at government this one and previous ones to do something about I think we're in this situation situation early two years and everybody looking in will be thinking how are we still in this situation antigen testing I, okay, it's been rolled out on Monday that is welcome but how has it taken us this long why did we not have it in beforehand for children who are potentially close contacts if parents were thinking are they a close contact for staff who are maybe a bit concerned I know of workplaces where they're rolling it out and they're finding asymptomatic cases and it is a good thing to do and in relation to the, the concern I would have around that with, with, with the, the this thing about posting out the antigen tested to, ki to kids and the kids have to the parents have to tell the school and the school then posts it out it sounds very uh, a little bit chaotic to so be you're honest. it should be far I, I, simpler like it should be, and, the, and the HSC it, it should, it's not fair for either the early year sector or schools to be made responsible for this on top of everything else they're doing there does need to be a role for the HSC and the PCR testing needs to be fast tracked okay. for those in fairness Joan has been saying that for a long time just, about just for fast tracked for staff listening in though, this will be HSC administered this isn't something on a Monday morning that the principal has to run around PCR tests oh, sorry with, with antigen tests no but the, the, the parents do the parents do have to contact the principal and it's it's parents obviously have the choice whether they do that or not and then it's up to the principal to I, to make that that interaction whereas it should be really the HSE. Okay. The HSE want, will have a, a major role, a very major role. Okay, Jono, I'd like to bring you in here. You run a crash yes. in Swords in County Dublin. Yes. Um, you've a quarter of your staff out sick, is that right? Uh, not this week, but but the last two weeks, yes, I have. I've had, and they're not they're not sick. They've actually had mild colds, but because they had minor symptoms, uh, they had to follow the guidelines and stay out. And in the case of my staff, this is this is not this week. I know it's making the headlines this week. Last week and the week before, it was taking three days from somebody waking up with a headache or a sore throat to getting the test result. It was taking three days, and for us, we have our, our staff look after a certain number of children so there's no one to look after that. Now we have had, I have to mention, the wage subsidy scheme has been great mm. but on the 1st of December next week, the middle of next week, that's gone. So we have that problem and we're about I think to be hit by a double whammy by the Department of Education because what we're starting to hear already today is that some staff in early years are being offered places in school starting tomorrow. So, 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 so that's that's the, the Department of Education saying they can substitute teaching and they're coming from earlier. I think we're about to see... They're leaving creches to go to classrooms? Yes. 
Yes. So is that and, is and, that and that's only today? Is that happening in, in crashes right now? Is that I had a text like, this yeah. morning from somebody who was to start with me next Monday, and I was waiting for her guard of vetting to come through because that's taking a couple of weeks. <clears throat> so she couldn't start with me because the guard of vetting hadn't come through, and she notified me at lunchtime today that she was starting in a school tomorrow. Now I don't know where guard of vetting comes into that, but she is starting in a school tomorrow. I mean, yeah, we we have been promised these two hundred extra staff because we know of um, um, the substitute teacher crisis, you're going back and I know every Friday you go in as a substitute teacher, isn't that right? But look at this situation here, that they're being pulled from childcare, where there's a yeah. desperate situation <laughs> regarding staff shortages. I, I, I'd love to know more about that because that's quite out of the ordinary. Look, I, I know how the, the sub-regime works. It's, it's, quite, it's, quite, it's quite rigid in who can sub. I've had people email my office ask, can we sub in the local school? They unfortunately can't. I'm guessing this individual is qualified yeah. as an SNA. Do you know what, Do you know what I just want to, Theresa Heaney, you were, you were nodding your head. Are you hearing about that happening? Um, about um, crash workers going to schools now to cover sub work? Um, what we're hearing is that um, the, the entire uh, education system is uh, recruiting from early years services. And certainly at a local level where somebody has completed an early years degree, they are certainly getting offered um, days and times in, uh, in local schools, um, local arrangements being made. And they're going. They're leaving, they're leaving yep, the childcare sector and crashes that are in real difficulty yeah, to go to classrooms yeah, and schools I need, that are I in real to, difficulty. I need to address that. Look, it's, it's, it's only been brought to my attention here tonight, but there will be no playing one sector after the other, I can guarantee you that. And actually, the, 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 decisive, action, the decisive action taken today, you, you mentioned additional 200 teachers be put on the sub-teacher panel. Actually, what we can look at is really a cumulative effect of 4,000 additional teachers being ejected to the system. That's third and fourth year uh, undergraduates uh, also add on top of that the PME students, the, the postgraduates, uh, those who are out on secondments to the Department of Education, leading literacy and numeracy um, initiatives and continuous professional development, they will all be going back in. So it's in fact more than 4,000. That scenario that has arisen should not have arisen. There is no department circular uh, suggesting that. Uh, th that is a localised issue, it has to be, because uh, that's obviously well, that's not school what that we're, has... what we're hearing, and we do no, know that the sector is under huge pressure. There will be no play in one sector, and, and the action taken today will mean that people like me who went in and volunteered, retired people have come back. That need should now be totally negated by the okay. fact of the decision taken Joan, yesterday. would you like to respond to that? I'm a small service in, in North County Dublin, and that happened to me today. What's the chance of that happening to me? Uh, 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 it's widespread. Um, what I would really like to, to ask from, we've been asking this from our own department, the Department of Children, since January, <clears throat> is rapid access to testing. I think it is the one thing we, we absolutely have to have because we are about to be hit with this extra drag on our staff. We're going to lose more staff. <clears throat> we have to maintain the staff that we can if we can, and one of the ways that we could have it is a, a, a fast tracking for testing. Anybody who is working with children who has to be in ratio, remember we're not like schools, we have legislative ratios, we must adhere to those or close our doors. So if I have five one-year-olds and, 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 and but one of my teachers is out sick. I actually have to send those children home. I can't take somebody else in because they mightn't be guarded. They might have the okay. right qualification. I'm stuck with that legislation. 
And Kathleen, do you think there's a case for that to fast track? This is oh, PCR tests you're talking about. And in about fairness, so that the sector since, the since June 2020, when, when it reopened, um, did that sector have been calling for rapid PCR tests? And I, we had a number of questions to the minister in, through that time looking for, for fast tracking of PCR tests for those working in the sector. And we were sort of told, well, you know, the PCR tests eventually are going to be so fast. I and mean, obviously, in fairness, for a while, I think maybe earlier this year, there, there was kind of a 20 24 to 48 hour turnaround. That's totally gone now and we can see that the two counties I represent, Carlow and Kilkenny, have no access to PCR tests today. So anybody who obviously is, for example, working in the early year sector in those counties and lots of other counties, what, what do they do for I, the next number of days? No, but can I just make this point as well about the, the early year sector? I, I really think now as well the government need to realise that there is serious issues about the, the pay and terms and conditions in that sector and they need to ensure that the staff are actually being you know, paid correctly for the job that they're doing because it, there has been an issue of a staffing crisis there for a long time and I think COVID has highlighted it and hopefully okay. that they will actually address that now and that might be one benefit to come out of it because it's it's been a, a sector that has been underinvested for years and they've been screaming out for investment and at the end of the day they're looking after our children doing invaluable work and it really does need to be recognised and it's been it's a, okay. a, a bit of a major just, issue with that. Before we go and we did ask the Education Minister Norma Foley to come on the show tonight she was unavailable but um, Cahill Crow just to speak about this primary school aged children now have the highest coronavirus incidence of any group that's this new research that's come out this week from the Health Protection Surveillance Centre 5,374 coronavirus infections detected last week um, among children aged between 5 and 12 what does that tell us? I think, first of all, as I said already, I think children of that age, are they're, they're quite resilient themselves, but it's who they may be bringing the COVID virus home to. And the COVID virus is rampant in the country at the moment. I took a train this morning from home to Dublin to get to the doll. Half the carriage weren't wearing masks. It's no wonder, unless there's collective buy-in now, that COVID is, is spreading as it is. Uh, in terms of schools, we have to keep them open. The government has hung its hat on that, successfully kept them open. And I think it's important now, with antigen coming in, this increased cohort of teachers coming in 4,000 plus, that we keep keep them open, we support them, and that we have layers of testing okay. to ensure that the classroom environment is as safe as we've always said it has been. Right, we'll have to see uh, what happens next week with those antigen tests. Uh, we'll leave it there for now. My thanks to the panel for joining us tonight. Uh, coming up after the break, the Lord Mayor of Cork joins us on the reimagined vision for Cork's Docklands. Stay with us. Welcome back. Ambitious multi-million euro plans for Cork City's Docklands have been announced, which would include the repurposing of the landmark Odlum Mills building, a new rehabilitation hospital and the construction of a number of multi-storey office and apartment buildings. Fianna Fáil TD, Cahill Crow and Sinn Féin's Kathleen Funchen are still with me and I'm joined via Skype tonight by Lord Mayor of Cork, Colm Kelleher. Um, you're very welcome along, Lord Mayor. I want to start with you on this massive announcement, 350 million euro worth of investment um, on two two prominent sites in the Docklands. I'm just thinking now when we're announcing all that, um, what, what's coming down the track there in light of the housing crisis, is it going to, is it going to house people? I mean, that this whole redevelopment, is it going to fit that bill in terms of, of getting more people living in the heart of Cork City? 
Well, that's the aim, Claire. Um, so the there's a 350 million euro uh, development, um, which two planning applications will be lodged in the coming days, um, in relation to two key buildings, uh, the RNH Hall and the Ocklands building. Um, but over, I suppose, the life of Docklands, the aim is to house 20,000 people down there, and uh, to have 29,000 people working down there. So, um, like, on, at the moment, Cork City Council and through approved housing bodies and uh, other avenues, we've over 1,500 homes under construction in Cork. And I do believe that this will be a great addition to uh, the cityscape for, I suppose, retail, business, office, but also housing. Right. Um, it is a huge project. In terms of a timeline and getting it built, we know the difficulty with... Uh, getting builders on the job and, and uh, supplies and all the rest of it at the moment. Uh, what's the t when are we expecting to see it uh, move from those nice 3D plans into a reality? <laughs> So, as you said, those nice 3D plans, uh, they, they look lovely, um, providing um, that the planning applications are approved. Um, and there will be, as I said, planning applications lodged with our planners uh, in the coming week. Um, you're possibly looking at about an 18-month period before they'd have boots on the ground. Um, and then another 18-month period to build it out. So at the tail end um, of that period, you would have both buildings done, the Ocklands building and the RNH Hall building. But something that's also very exciting there is the uh, hospital that's been proposed uh, to be put down there, which would be the first building if granted planning. Um, and this would be a purpose-built rehabilitation hospital. Um, I'm sure you're all familiar with the, uh, the rehabilitation centre, the National Rehabilitation Centre in Dunleary. Um, it's the only one of its kind in the country. And um, should planning be granted, um, I know that there's a French, a French multinational co uh, company, Orpay Group. Um, they've been in uh, talks with the developers and they're very keen to set up this purpose-built um, okay. rehabilitation hospital. And in developing this site, were developers looking to what's being done, what has been done in Dublin, how the Docklands has been developed there? And is it something they're trying to emulate then in Cork? Well, you, you, you probably, some of your viewers may remember, remember the Docklands in Dublin in the late 80s and early 90s and what a success the IFSC has been. We effectively have a larger site. Um, it drew all the way down as far as the old Ford factory, the Dunlop factory, down as far as Parky Cueve. Um, you know, Glenvay Homes have a substantial land holding down there also, and they're uh, looking at uh, putting housing down there as well. Um, but the big thing here is like we've 350 million um, of a rubber stamp of approval of private equity from a, a Cork firm, O'Callaghan's Construction. Okay. Um, it's a real vote of confidence in the city. But you couple that with the 354 million that uh, Antishuk announced um, through um, funding for the Docklands, 353 million in funding from the URDF fund under the Urban Regeneration and Development Fund. That's ring-fenced already. We have right. that money ready to go so that when these buildings are delivered, Cork City Council has the funds to deliver the, the public realm, the street lights, the roads, the footpaths, etc. So um, okay. we, we are ready to do our part in Cork City Council should the planning be approved and okay. these buildings go ahead. All pending the planning, of course. Um, Cahill Crow just on on this and the redevelopment and um, that big uh, investment there, it does sound like a developer's dream, doesn't it? 
Yeah, well, for, first of all, great to see the Mayor of Cork doing November as well. We'll all be a little bit clean-shaven, hopefully. I knew you'd week, have to explain that um, now at some point. Yeah, I don't normally have a tash like this. Um, look, look, this is a massive project, and it's part of the National Development Plan. It's part of government committing to urban regeneration and to try to stem off urban decay. You know, he's referenced many examples there. The Docklands of Dublin very successfully. Now you have the gleaming IFSC down there. Mm. Uh, this will transform the Docklands of Cork. We've seen the Limerick 2030 project. In my own county, we've Venice 2040. There's a series of plans in large urban centres, but also town and village renewal, targeted at giving a place a lift, giving it opportunities, and incorporating things like housing and investment opportunities back to public money and partially deliver them at the private realm. Okay, uh, what do you think of these plans, uh, this proposed development? Do you agree with it? I have to say, I think it's it's quite welcome. It does look like a very good plan. Um, anything that's creating jobs, I think they're saying roughly around 5,000 jobs they hope to create, and housing particularly at the moment. However, I would say housing has to be affordable and it has to be accessible. So I think that's really important to see in the scheme. Um, and we want to see like, good quality jobs for people. But I think um, certainly from talking to our TDs and councillors in the area, they do welcome this. Um, there's, you know, we do also want to see, as you said yourself, a time frame. You know, there's lots of great plans drawn on paper all over the country for various towns, villages, and years later, people are still waiting. So it's important that we do see follow-up. And I do mm -hmm. think something that can um, echo the National Rehabilitation Centre would be very welcome too. And that would be a service that would be badly needed and, and, and welcome. Okay. But you, we have to see detail too. You want stuff that's going to have good quality jobs, affordable, accessible housing, and an actual plan that will deliver and that won't just be sort of sitting on a shelf gathering dust. And affordability very important on this because some would say about the Dublin Dock that actually it doesn't really service the local community very well in terms of you know, people being able to afford to live in these uh, high-rise apartment blocks. I would largely agree with that, yes. And I think that's been a key element of housing for all. When new developments happen, be it in urbanised uh, settings or in a small village, there has to be a certain a high percentage threshold, affordable okay. and social housing, so that people can actually live in those communities. Great. We have to leave it there. My thanks to Cahill, uh, Kathleen and to Colm who joined us on Skype tonight. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. Our next news is on Ireland AM tomorrow morning. But from all the late team here, good night. Take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm.